Our scripture reading today is found in the book of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. And the word of the Lord reads, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? <clears throat> he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on the account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. <clears throat> the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's coat. His disciples did not understand things, excuse me, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they were remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they went was that they went, they heard him, he had not gone, dis, excuse me. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. So as we continue our, our study through the book of John, uh, we come to chapter 12. So John, in writing this book, what you would seem uh, to think that he, he basically slows down at this point. And so from chapter 12 throughout the rest of John actually only covers about a little over a week. And so we're going to move, you know, pretty slow through the rest of this Passion Week, uh, Jesus' uh, crucifixion on the cross and moving up through that. And so if you kind of dip back into to the end of chapter 11, you have those that were asking, you know, is Jesus going to show up? You know, the, the, everybody knows at this point the Pharisees have it out for him. The, the decree and the word has been sent out. If you see Jesus, let us know so that we can arrest him. And so people are wondering, is he going to show up to the Passover? And what we find is that Jesus most assuredly is going to be there because you can't have the Passover without the Passover lamb. He is what that whole situation was about. If you remember, 
uh, that Passover celebration. It was the celebration of uh, the Lord's deliverance of Israel as, as they would put the lamb's blood on their door. And the Lord would actually pass over them as he took, uh, took the first, uh, firstborn male uh, of, of, of Egypt. And so that celebration is pointing to Christ and, and pointing to the to, to the coming Passover when the Lord is going to look for the blood of Christ on the hearts of people. And when he finds that, he will pass over us and, and, and our, our, our sins and transgressions will be passed on to Christ and we won't have to face uh, the wrath of God. And so Jesus, he's definitely going to be there because he's the, he's the star of the show. He is the Passover lamb. You also see as we work through this passage that this is all meant to fulfill uh, the prophecy. Jesus was a long-expected king, and so he had to show up. He had to go back to Jerusalem. He wasn't going to back down, yet he was going to walk through uh, and, and offer his life up for, for, for many. And so you have a, a lot being said here uh, in, Je- in John chapter 12. You see him coming to Bethany, and he's at the house uh, we, don't, we don't know whose house it is, but we know Mary and Martha are there. The 12 are there. And as we, uh, we reflect upon this passage, there's, there's a lot that commentators have, uh, have kind of debated over whether or not this was the same occurrence of Jesus' anointing as you may have in other passages. Um, if, if you're familiar, this isn't the only time that Jesus is anointed with you know, a lady's hair and, and wiping, wiping his feet with, with the hair. Uh, and so um, a, lot of, a lot of ink has been spilled on that. There's also uh, much thought between when exactly he shows up. When was the day? How? When was the Passover? Was it on Thursday? Did he show, all this sort of stuff. So there's a lot to, 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 to talk about there. You have the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, uh, which is quoted in verse 15 there. I say all that to say we're not going to cover any of that. If you want to, if you want to take that up, you can talk to Pastor Carter, Pastor Phil. We're not, we're not going to touch on all of that. But I think as we reflect upon these verses this morning, if you, if you have your subtitles there, if you have them in your Bible, you will see that there's three movements through these 19 verses. And what I, what I hope to do this morning is to, is to look at each one of these movements through the, the narrative of knowing Jesus. Our sermon series is the joy of knowing Jesus. So I think there's three, uh, there's three things, three points, three movements we see in this passage that give us insight into knowing Jesus. And so those three movements, we'll, we'll describe them as worshipers, witnesses, and the world. Worshipers, witnesses, and the world. First, we have the worshiper. We have Mary. Mary using this very expensive uh, ointment on Jesus. I think one of the things that you find that's interesting in this passage is that John wanted us to know that the, the, the smell of this perfume filled the whole house. I mean, it, this, this was a lot. This was a pleasant scent, but it was a strong, it was a strong smell. It was, it, was, it was everywhere. It was in your face, and you could see her pouring out her, her devotion upon Christ. You know, the saying goes, if actions speak louder than words, and what we have here with Mary's actions are that her actions are screaming. This wasn't for show. This wasn't something that was normally done. 
uh, washing someone's feet was something that was reserved for slaves. Not even, not even Jews would, would wash uh, people's feet. And so what she's doing, she's not putting on a show. This is out of the devotion of her heart. And so this type of worship begs the question, who's worthy of such ointment? Who's worthy of, of such a perfume to be used on their feet? Even we think about ourselves today, we're not going to spend $300 on, on, you know, the latest and greatest scent and, and bring it home and put it on our feet. That's, that's, not why we, that's not why we purchase those things. And so we wouldn't even do that for ourselves, let alone spend that much money and put that on somebody else. And so that begs the question, who is this Jesus that she is so devoted to? But we know, we talked about it the last few weeks, when you know Jesus and when you know what he's done for you, this makes perfect sense. There's nothing she could do to pay him back. This is, this is merely her way of saying thank you. This is her worship to Jesus. And so there's one thing we can see in this story is that there are times when your devotion and worship to Jesus seems foolish and it makes others uncomfortable. Mary's worship and devotion to Jesus exposed Judas's worship of money. Judas and the disciples, they should have understood her worship. They've been there the whole time. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the healings. They've seen the two other uh, accounts where someone was raised from the dead. They've, they've walked and lived with Jesus. If anybody in the house should have saw that and said, yep, it should have been the disciples, especially Judas. What we see in Judas is that he had, uh, Judas reveals in his heart that he, he didn't have that same joy that, Ma- that Mary had. Essentially, he was saying, I would never spend this on Jesus. There's better use of this ointment than to pour it on Jesus. I would find more enjoyment using it for myself than on Jesus. And for Mary, she would have likely said, this, is, this isn't even enough. I wish I could have brought a ton of this stuff. I would do this every day, all day, if I had the opportunity because of her devotion to Jesus, because of what he's done for her. And so the question is, how about you this morning? How well do you know Jesus? Is there a limit on on your worship and devotion to him? Is there a cap? Is there a ceiling on your praise to him? I'm reminded of of Luke chapter 7, verse 47, where it says, he who is forgiven little loves little. And so in the case of Judas, he had a cap on his, his devotion to Jesus. And you find, even as John is giving commentary, is that he's going to betray Jesus. Not only is he going to betray Jesus, that he, had the, he, had the, he kept the money bag and he used to help himself to it whenever he wanted. And so, it's, it, again, imagine this scene of them being in the house. Mary is, I mean, this is an intimate thing she's doing for Jesus. And everybody sees and everybody can smell it. And it's, it's intense. And there's moments where, for me, you, you, you hear the old, the old saying that the hit dog will holler. This is the ultimate situation with Judas. Her, her praise and devotion of Jesus was so offensive to Judas, he couldn't stand it. He couldn't help but to bring forth, this is offensive. Now, he, you know, he can't really say that because he's, you know, he's a disciple. And so he's, you know, I want to say the right things. And so he crouches or he tries to cloak his idolatry in the context of the poor. And so Jesus knew, that, uh, Judas knew 
that Jesus was all about serving the people. He's heard him speak about the poor. And so he figured, if I say this, Jesus might even agree with me. But what he didn't expect was that Jesus would defend Mary. Jesus defended Mary because Mary was family. You take up for family, right? Not only was she family, she was also right. She truly knew who Jesus was, and it produced this joy in her heart. And so in in Jesus' response to Judas, what we see is that Jesus helps us to see that the worship of him gives definition to the service of the poor. As we think about poverty, poverty in terms of material wealth is not just the lack of goods or the lack of necessities. What becomes even more insurmountable is this is a notion that not only do I not have what I need, I don't even know anybody that can give me what I need. And so there's also this relational poverty that happens when we, when we talk about the poor. And so what Jesus is, is, is laying out to, to Judas is that if you don't get me correctly, if you don't worship me correctly, if you don't understand who I am, you're actually poor. What can you offer the poor without offering them me? And the saying goes, you can, you can give a man a fish, you can, or you should teach, teach a man how to fish. You can teach a man to be the world's producer of fish. He can become a billionaire. But if you don't give him the bread of life, you haven't given him anything. The saying is true. It's not what you know, but who you know. Judas, Jesus is trying to, to help Judas to see it's not uh, that you need to help the poor, it's that you need to know me. I give true definition to serving the poor. To know Christ is to know true wealth and to understand the deepest depths of poverty. So Mary, knowing that Jesus, without Jesus, she had nothing. She was willing to spend all that she had. And this expensive ointment was nothing to her because she knew Christ was her all. So I'll give all to the one that I know keeps everything. And so John, moving into our second movement in this passage, he transitions from this intimate house setting now to those of the crowds. And so going into verse 9, we see that the crowds, they found Jesus. They found out that he's in Bethany, and they want to see him, and they want to see Lazarus. And so this brings into our, our second uh, way of knowing Jesus is that by which you would be a, a witness. What we find in that, these 19 verses is that there were witnesses uh, to Jesus' to, to Jesus's raising of Lazarus that continue to share this event with others. We see that in verse 17. And so you, you have witnesses, but then you also have Lazarus. Lazarus seems to, to go under what I, I, I think is a bit of a name change. Three times in this passage, John references him as being raised from the dead. He's no longer Lazarus. He's Lazarus, the one that's been raised from the dead. He's Lazarus, the one called forth from the grave. He's Lazarus, the one who went from death to life. Now, I would imagine that may be because there were other Lazaruses out there, but I'm certain if you saw a man put in a, in a grave and you saw that man come back out, every time you would see that man, you would say, that's not just Lazarus, that's Lazarus from the tomb. As, we think of, as I think of this, it reminds me of the, of the Heisman Trophy. If you're familiar with college sports, you, you would know uh, in college football, the Heisman Trophy is the most prestigious award. 
And so when you win that award in, in media, internet, print, everywhere, your name is changed. It's, it's no longer uh, Earl Campbell. It's Heisman Trophy winner Earl Campbell. It's Heisman Trophy winner Bo Jackson, and so on and so on. And so winning this, this, this prize, this willing, winning this award marks your life. And such was the same for Lazarus. His life, I'm sure every day he woke up, he was like, man, I was dead. <laughs> like, I don't really know that I was dead because I was dead, but they told me I was dead and now I'm back alive. Like, how, just think about that. You waking up with the reality my life is now new again. I'm living and breathing because of Jesus. That totally changed his perspective. And so Paul illustrates this, this point for us in, in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 4 through 7, when it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, we are, those of us who have placed our hope and trust in Christ, we are like Lazarus. We were dead and Christ made us alive. I'm no longer Pasquale. I'm Pasquale, that, the one that Christ raised from the grave. So when you, when you write my name, you put that after it. The one Christ has raised from the dead. You think about that for yourself. When you wake up in the morning, I'm no longer just me. I'm, I'm the me that has been raised from the dead. And if that's true, it will manifest itself throughout your life. Salvation is, is as powerful and as simple as being dead and being made alive. You are now dead to those things of this world. And now your heart beats for Jesus because Jesus is your heartbeat. And in the case of uh, Lazarus in our passage this morning, this made him a marked man. It's been said that you can be uh, guilty by association, but in the case of Lazarus, he became guilty by resurrection. The very existence of Lazarus became a spectacle for all and, uh, and clear, undeniable e evidence of Jesus' power over death. Many, many were coming to Jesus and believing because of Lazarus. I mean, just to see this man walking around, again, it was a, it, people wanted to see him. You mean to tell me there was somebody that was buried and now they're alive? Yeah, I want to see them. Let's go. How, it don't matter how far we got to go. I need to see this man. And people were traveling from far and near to see, to see Jesus and also to see Lazarus. And so now the Pharisees, they must not only kill Jesus, but they also... They need to take away the works of Jesus. They need to take away the evidence of who he is. And so that means, Lazarus, unfortunately, you got to go. Now, again, as we think of, we think of this in the context of the joy of knowing Jesus. What was Lazarus's joy? He knew Jesus. He knew that Jesus could raise him from the, from the dead a second time. When you think about it, their plan was actually foolish. You want to kill a man that was raised from the dead. Well, how do you know he won't be raised from the dead again? And so for Lazarus, he's like, man, I'm, I'm living on borrowed time. You want to kill me? Fine. He'll just raise me up again. And as we think about it, that's the hope for all of us who are witnesses for Christ. 
the joy is that death has no hold on us because Jesus has raised us from the grave. So what is death to someone who was already dead and now they've been made alive? It's nothing. As we think of the witness, as you translate it from the Greek, it's the Greek word martyrio, which means to bear witness or to testify. And as you think about church history and many of those that have been killed for being witnesses for Christ, we've basically taken that word witness in the Greek and made it a verb to be to be martyred for Christ, or to, to put those in a particular category, uh, martyrs for Christ. But it simply means to be a witness, to, be, to give testimony to what Christ has done. And we see this uh, as we think about those that, that are martyrs and, and those that, that, that make life uncomfortable for those who don't follow Christ. We see in Acts uh, chapter 17 and verse 6 where it says, that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And so what Jesus and Lazarus were doing, and Lazarus just by his mere existence, was turning the world upside down. The rumor and, and, and the story was being spread about Christ and his work in Lazarus' life. And so this, this brings us to our, our third progression in this passage uh, and I believe it's a, a third way of knowing Jesus is in the context of the world. And so you have Mary as a worshiper, Lazarus, and, and others as witnesses, and now we see the world. And so this large crowd, they've caught wind that Jesus is here. They know he's coming. They know he's going up to Jerusalem. You can, we can see in chapter 11 that Bethany was just two miles from Jerusalem. So he's very close, so let's, let's all get in position so that we can see him when he comes. And basically, what, what ensued was a parade. They raised palm branches and were, and were out crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They, they praised Jesus as, as the king of Israel. And what's interesting, what we find in these verses is this word, Hosanna, if you can do some, some, some language work and go back to the Greek and to the, to the Latin and to the Hebrew, what you will find is this word Hosanna comes from a, a Hebrew phrase or Hebrew uh, word that you will find in Psalm 118, uh, verses 25 and 26. It reads, save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so that save us they're crying out. They're basically crying out to Jesus, save us, please. Save us, please. It's, there's a bit of irony that we, that we find in this triumphal entry. As they're praising Jesus as king, when you think about kings and kingdoms, one of the things that you, know, you see in TV and movies and cartoons is they say, long live the king, long live the king. But you don't find that here. What you find is them crying out to Jesus to save us, please. Now, they, I, don't, I don't think they had any clue of what they were really asking Jesus to do. They probably saw Jesus as a political savior. Uh, in this time, the Jews, they were constantly trying to figure out how are we going to break free from Rome. And so they probably saw this man that seemed to perform miracles and he seemed to be the promised one. He's finally going to come and reinstitute uh, uh, Israel and bring us our power back and he's going to bring us back as a nation. But what, they, what they're asking Jesus is actually to go to the cross and die. 
with each cry of save us, save us now, what Jesus is hearing is go to the cross, go to the cross, go to the cross. They don't know what they're asking Jesus to do. But when you ask Jesus to save you, that's what you ask him to do. That's the salvation that Jesus brings is that he would go to the cross and take on your sins. And so this long-awaited king, even riding in on a donkey, hit the completion of his kingdom, the, the, may, may even say the inauguration of his kingdom, will be performed on the cross. And so while everything that they said was true indeed, I doubt they would, they would have said that if they truly understood what Christ was going to do. It probably would have been more of a, a more solemn event. And verse 18 reveals why the crowds were there. It says that they heard about Jesus and Lazarus. And so, again, as we think about knowing Jesus and the joy of knowing Jesus, the world, as the Pharisees would say, they were following Jesus. They were looking and, and coming to Jesus as one really from the outside looking in. We, we've heard about this Jesus. We want to come. We want to see him. But, but they, didn't, they didn't know Jesus in the way that Mary, Martha, or, or, or Lazarus knew Jesus. They knew him in a, in a very distant sense. And so the, the, the key for us to examine here, are you, are you worshiping the Jesus of the Bible or the Jesus of your imagination? This is particularly true when we face suffering and trials and setbacks and disappointments. If the Jesus you worship promised you that you won't suffer anything, then that's the wrong Jesus. The Jesus that owes you happiness and success in life, that's the wrong Jesus. In fact, that's not Jesus at all. That's a genie. And so we want to be careful when we're following the crowds, when we, when we hear that the crowds are following Jesus. Don't be carried away by, by the crowds. Consider Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I've always been uh, just kind of struck by, that, by those verses because, I mean, we're in, a, we're in a church, we're in a state, we're in a country where there are millions of people that profess uh, their devotion and, and love to Christ and, and would claim to be followers of Christ. And that may be true. Well, take, take seriously what Jesus is saying here. And I think what he's, what he's getting at and what I hope we can understand and see from this passage is that Jesus comes in to know you personally. Jesus is a personal Jesus that comes into your house and he sits with you and he communes with you. And so the question is, how do you how do you know Jesus this morning? Do you know him as the world might know him from a parade with big celebration and, and, and claps and, and screaming Hosanna? Do you know him from a distance as one uh, from the outside looking in? Or do you know him as Mary would know him as one that has come into her house, one that she, she has seen the power of Jesus in her life? Jesus saved and brought her brother back to life. Do you know Jesus like Lazarus, one that's, that was dead and, and now has been brought to life? Do you know Jesus as, as Martha would know him? I think as we look through this passage, we see that the joy of, of knowing Jesus expresses itself uh, in, some, in some different ways. So I, I want us to look at Luke 
Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through 42. I want us to kind of compare and contrast Jesus' first encounter with Mary and Martha and, and compare it to what we have this morning. So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Martha has chosen... Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So compare and contrast that to what we have uh, in the first eight verses in John 12. What do you see? You see that Martha is still serving. But now, instead of her running up to Jesus and being frustrated and distracted and anxious, there's a, there's a quiet faith and dependence on Jesus. Her serving now has purpose. She's not worried about help because she knows that Jesus is her help. Consider Mary in their first encounter. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now she's washing Jesus' feet. She's listened to his teaching. She's witnessed his power. When Jesus comes at this point, I don't need to hear any more teaching. I've seen who I know who you are. Now is the time for thanks. Allow me to express my thanks to you. And that's what she does in that moment. Spending time with Jesus, Jesus uh, healing, uh, bringing their brother back to life. Jesus being with them through the the context of pain and loss has brought forth this joy. And we've talked about it again for weeks and weeks. Lazarus uh, went from death to life. And so the joy, we think about the, the joy that they have now in Jesus. If you think about it, it comes through the context of hardship. And so I want to say one of the things that has encouraged me this week in in reading through this is that Jesus comes to us and there's a way that we can get to know him through hardship that we wouldn't know him without it. We think about Mary, you know, using this expensive ointment on Jesus. Was he worthy of it? Sure. But would she have done that if Christ hadn't raised her brother from the dead? If she hadn't experienced pain and loss and suffering and then have Jesus to come back and restore that? That, I mean, that gives joy. That gives that, that desire. I, I need to go find the most expensive, whatever I can find, and, and do this for Jesus. And so when it comes to, to Jesus being in, in your life, there's, a, there's a, again, there's a way that we can know him through the context of difficulty. And so if you want to know Jesus as a provider, that usually means you, can, you need to be in a context where he needs to provide. And so, yes, we can rejoice with the Lord when he gives us things in moments where we, we have plenty. But to really know Jesus in a deeper way, it's usually going to come by you having nothing and having him provide. As you think about Jesus being a healer, we can't know Jesus as a healer without being sick. We can praise God and rejoice, you know, rejoice to the Lord for all the ways that he keeps our health and keeps us from being sick. But how do you know the Lord as a healer if you're not sick? 
And so what I'm saying is we don't have to go through life looking for the hardship. Don't, don't, don't quote me wrong today. We don't have to go through life looking for suffering. It will find you. The suffering and the hardship will find you. The, the hope for the believer is, man, I have Christ now to walk with me through this. Here's an opportunity for me to get to experience the power of Christ in the midst of this suffering. That's the joy of knowing Jesus is the fact that we, we actually know him. We know that we have whatever we need. We know we have all that we need when we have Jesus. And so ultimately, the joy of knowing Jesus is, is knowing Jesus as Savior. But in order to know Jesus as Savior, we must first realize that we are enemies. Yeah, I said, I said it, enemies. You probably thought I was going to say in order to know Jesus as Savior, you must recognize that you have sin. And that's true. But the way the Bible speaks about it is that the context of our relationship without, before placing hope and trust in Christ is that of enemies. Like the worst enemies, like eternity punishment type of enemy. And so you think about that. You think about all of the context of knowing uh, and having joy in Christ and also knowing that before we got to that, there was actually uh, a beef between God and man. There was beef between us and Jesus. Jesus knocks on the door of your heart and says, hi, I'm Jesus. I know that you've sinned. And actually, if, if, if you don't place your hope and trust in Christ and me, I'm actually going to crush you in eternity. But I've come. I paid for your sin. We don't have to worry about it. We can, we can start off a new relationship, and I will walk with you into eternity. I'll never leave you. We'll put the sin in the past, and we'll walk forward. Do you know how, how amazing that is that Christ would come and initiate a relationship with his enemy? We see that in, in Romans, in Romans chapter 5. I, I, I just love these, the whole set there, but particularly verse 10. Romans 5, 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And so this, this verse and others in this passage lays out to us that it's, it's, it helps us to get an understanding behind what sin is. We talk about sin and we know it's wrong, we know it's evil, but it actually makes you an enemy of God. And that's what Christ came to deal with. Christ came to deal with enemies. He came to address his enemies on the cross. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to come to Jesus. Ask Jesus to come into the house of your heart. The road will be hard, but the point is that Whatever difficulty you face, the joy that you find on the other side is greater. The joy of knowing Christ is greater than anything that we can face in this life. Let's pray.